Ontolog Forum scheduled discussion session for April 20th, uh, year 2006. And the topic today is Ontologizing the Ontolog Body of Knowledge, discussion session one. Framing the issues and requirements and approach. Uh, we have the honor of uh, having Dr. Denise Bedford from the World Bank here to be our moderator today. And uh, so yours, Denise. Okay. Well, um, thank you to all of our um, presenters today. We have six very um, um, illustrious presenters, um, starting with Pierre Yim, who um, I think for everyone here probably needs no formal introduction. But Peter's going to talk about the Ontolog Collaborative Work Environment and basically give us an overview of the Community Knowledge Repository. Uh, Peter will be followed by Lisa Colvin. Um, Lisa is currently um, doing knowledge management um, work at Genentech. Uh, previously, she had worked on Yahoo Search Technology and has also taken on roles at VerticalNet as senior ontologist as well as product manager for their ontology builder software product. <coughs> um, Lisa will talk about understanding user roles. Um, next, we have Bob Smith. Um, who is a professor emeritus at California State University and is currently involved in evaluating semantic web services for business clients in the U.S. and Hong Kong. Um, Bob's primary interest is in evolving roles of ontology research and ontology tool builders as they assess economic and organizational challenges. And Bob is going to talk to us today about a roadmap for ontologues thesaurus. After Bob, we'll, we'll hear from Patrick Hennig, um, who is Senior Enterprise Architect with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the Office of Water. He's currently on detail from the Bureau of Industry and Security, uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce. And um, Patrick is going to talk to us about engineering a value proposition. Nicholas Roquette um, is our next speaker. Um, Nicholas, um, Dr. Nicholas Roquette is a Principal Computer Scientist in the Flight Software Development and Technologies Group um, in the Flight and Data Systems Section in Systems and Software Division at JPL uh, in NASA. Um, and he will talk to us about a functional architecture. And our um, last speaker is um, Michael Maximilian. Michael is currently a research staff member at IBM's Albany Research Center in Silicon Valley. And Michael will talk to us about the multifaceted approach to ontologizing the ontolog content rooted in pragmatism, tools, services, and standards, and social collaboration. Um, I, um, Peter, I'm going to, um, I've, I've looked at the time that we have today and the number of speakers, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I think we have about 10 to 15 minutes for each speaker. Is that about right? No, we have five minutes for each speaker, five. followed by like a three-minute Q&A for okay. particulars. Okay. Thank you very much. I'm yes. glad I asked. Yes. So we will um, we will ask the speakers to try to stay within that um, time frame so we have a chance to hear from everyone. Um, very, very quickly, last week, I think it was, we set out some questions which you will find on the, um, the page for today. Um, and I think all of our presenters are speaking to some aspect of this. Let me just quickly say um, that the framing questions 
uh, revolved around what content did we want to um, ontologize, um, who are we ontologizing it for, in other words, who are the users, and what uh, basically what scenarios or uses would we need to take into consideration. From that, the architecture, the tools, the technologies, et cetera, might become more clearer to us. So without further um, time from me, let me turn this over to Peter. Thank you very much, Denise. And uh, for those who are on the page, you could uh, click on the title of each panelist's talk or the, uh, the link that says slide and uh, bring up the slides locally if you have trouble getting into the shared screen. Uh, for those who have shared screen, uh, these slides will be advanced for uh, for for everyone. Okay. Uh, okay. The, the the brief I'm going to do today is about uh, the Ontolog collaborative work environment, which is this community of practice knowledge repository. Um, so. This is a very brief, this, uh, I'm going on to slide number two now, a brief introduction on what Ontolog is. I'm not going to repeat this. Uh, it's kept here just for uh, completeness. But one thing that's interesting is that uh, if you look at the second to the last bullet, it says our work actually resides on a virtual collaborative work environment which serves as a dynamic knowledge repository to the community's collective intelligence. I mean, that is the part that I, I would like to uh, brief everyone on today. So before we start, uh, I mean, this is sort of my, my picture about what Ontolog really is. So the caption of this picture is, it's John McCarthy having a dialogue with Doug Engelbart at the tavern with the fishnet on the wall. Uh, of course, for most of us here, we know who John McCarthy is, maybe for the, uh, a good part of us, a uh, good, good, good uh, subset of us here, we also know who Doug Engelbart is. I mean, these two people sort of are icons of, I mean, the AI approach to uh, computing and the augmentation approach to computing. So one is sort of more uh, uh, automation machine driven, the other is sort of people-centric. Uh, and the fishnet is an organization. So where do these all fit in? And uh, what is Ontolog? Ontolog is sort of like this tavern, like this bar whereby people just get around and talk and instantly among these two people are people who are in technology, in artificial intelligence, trying to use computers to, 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 to get them to be, uh, get the computers to be smarter. And then there's this other group that wants to uh, put the people in the center of everything and use the computer just to augment the people. And this is where they all meet and have fun. Hopefully, that's what we do at bars. Uh, so, what is the community of practice? So, if we look at the these are sort of classic definitions. Uh, if we look at the second one, which is sort of uh, a classic from Peter and Trudy Johnson Lance, uh, they said a group, uh, a community of practice is a group of professionals informally bound to one another through exposure 
themselves embodying a store of knowledge. I mean, that's exactly uh, what's pertinent to our discussion today. We, as a group, we do have, and we do embody a store of knowledge. And, and what do we want to do with it? And why are we here talking about it? Uh, the next slide shows how can we get organized, or how are we being organized to, to deal with this? Uh, uh, I, I use the uh, Johansson and Swigart uh, framework of a fishnet organization, whereby everything is like a pool of resources, and you can pick up sort of temporary hierarchies and, and, and do projects on them or do virtual enterprising. And within the CIM3.net collaborative work environment, actually there's a broader context. I mean, you can see on the left that all these people or all these communities or projects are actually residing on that net, uh, CIM3.net. And if you look at this sort of the front uh, screen, the Ontolog collaborative work environment is made up of a portal, a wiki, a, a discussion forum, and some file repository. And it is supported by full text search across this community, across all the communities on the CIM3.net, and of course also searching the entire World Wide Web. I mean, using the Google engine. Uh, I'm going on to slide number seven now. Uh, so what are we? Uh, we are about getting what is conducive to effective collaboration among people. Uh, we are about sharing. And there's a whole bunch of things. I'm not going to go into the details. But most importantly, we are not simply about technology. We are about technology in, this, in certain respects, but not simply about technology and tools at all. actually is that we are community driven, we are neutral, we are open, and we are not answerable to any authority or institutional structure except for sort of explicitly our charter and then our IPR policy and implicitly our professional integrity. Uh, the next slide is one that is a sort of very famous Doug Engelbart slides whereby he says we are actually dealing with a tool system on the one hand and a human system on the other. But the, the real, the crux of the problem actually is, I mean, we're working within a capabilities infrastructure whereby our goal should be to try to improve that capability. So uh, as a concluding slide, now that we are trying to develop our approach and requirements, let's try to bootstrap. I mean, we, we've got a, a good body of knowledge already, and we can sort of bootstrap on that. Uh, Doug Engelbart tells us that we need a prominent and explicit role for the capability to improve, and he prompts us to identify our improvement vectors. Uh, Doug is my hero, my mentor, and, and I, I think uh, his, his, uh, he has probably some of the best visions I've seen of anybody. So in addition to use cases, let's also ask ourselves, what do we really want to improve? And how can that improvement be made viral? I mean, this is sort of more like a, a modern day uh, World Wide Web type term. And the, 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 the deal is, I mean, what can we do to improve our capability to improve? And in our case, maybe uh, let's go back and look at the ontolog charter again. That's it. 
Thank you, Peter, very much. That was very, um, a very inspiring presentation. Um, are there any questions for Peter? Okay, if there are no questions for Peter, shall we move on to Lisa? Great. Well, thanks, Peter. That's a great introduction to the next section, which is um, understanding user roles. Um, so now I'm on slide two. Like you mentioned, the, the potential community for ontolog and um, for ontology use in general is broad. The practitioners uh, range from AI to IA. When I started um, learning about ontologies, I was in the AI camp. And uh, five years ago, I started to meet some information architects, and I thought there could be some synergies. Um, but at the time, most of the people I was were speaking, speaking to um, were having trouble just defining what, what role they played within um, businesses. And so there wasn't the, the opportunity for collaboration across disciplines. But now, the, the whole field has changed. We have all sorts of people who are interested in ontologies and using the word ontology. So not just a, uh, people from knowledge engineers and AI, computer scientists, logicians, but also information architects, information architects, uh, scientists, um, business analysts, even like venture capitalists, futurists, and, and tagging the whole um, folksonomy debate. And I thought it was great to read um, Tom Gruber's uh, paper on that, on folksonomies versus ontologies. Um, so, so as far as defining defining our community, the reason why this is important, as Denise um, as Denise brought up in her presentation last week, is um, by defining who are, who we are as a community. That'll help define what at what level of granularity of representation and, and complexity of representation we want our ontology to have. Um, next slide. Um, slide three. Um, even though we have a wide, the community may be uh, comprised of people from different disciplines, the goals um, are, are similar. Basically, we want to have better access to the body of ontolog knowledge that we've accumulated. And so along those lines, we need to be able to browse and search the knowledge. Now, we do have, um, as Peter mentioned, we do have Google Search. Um, the, the algorithms for, for searching are based on um, link analysis. And um, so that depends on how, how our knowledge is, is organized within, within the wiki. We may find that. Um, having an ontological representation of the knowledge may suit our purposes for browsing and searching better, and also be a, a, a place to start new projects in terms of emerging knowledge, like creating knowledge maps of ontological expertise or social networking maps. These are some of the ideas that Denise presented last week. And for example, with searching, um, there's different types of searching. If you want to find a particular piece of information, say a list of all participants in an ontolog conference call, this is an example from Denise last week, that's actually fully specified in the wiki. But there's also other types of information that people may want to find that's currently underspecified. 
the next slide, um, slide four, I just uh, took one of the examples from Denise's presentation last week of mapping the goals, the goals of the user, the search goals, to reference sources. For example, she said, find people who participated in the discussion. So um, we can take all the, all the entities out of that, um, agents, agent roles, activities, and, time, and per perhaps time, and that, that gives us a sense of the type of uh, knowledge content that we will need to ontologize. Now, note that we don't have to take a position right now as to how that will be formalized because we have people from various disciplines and um, varying levels of complexity in terms of the representations that they're used to using. But that's a, a goal. That is something that will need to be discussed um, later. Uh, the next slide, slide five, reference sources within Ontolog. Um, looking in the wiki, there's a lot of wiki words and links that are already instances of reference sources, reference sources being the concepts that we'll want to have in our ontology. For example, agents like people, like Peter Yem, and organizations that they work for are actual wiki words in the wiki. Um, agent roles, um, some agent roles are also in the wiki. Particular events are represented, as well as information assets. Information assets about presentations and um, podcasts, but also um, links to other standards and, and, and activities that are going on outside of Ontolog. So in conclusion, on the next slide, slide six, um, the next speakers will be talking about leveraging tools so that we can help build our reference model and architecture. And as I mentioned before, the level of granularity and complexity will depend on the user goals that we're trying to meet and the users who are actually creating the ontology. Since we are, we are the community um, and we're made up of a diverse group, um, we, we um, will need to come together in, in, in deciding how we represent our ontology. Um, so thank you. That's all I have for now. Thank you, Lisa. Mm -hmm. You did a very good job of, of taking us um, kind of a giant step beyond last week. Are there, oh. any, are there any questions for Lisa? Or did yeah, I need to jump in. Um, has someone been making changes to the wiki page? No. Yes, I have. I, I'm sorry. I had to post uh, Max slides. So, okay. could you capture your, your edits and then paste it back on again? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Carry on. Oh, I, I'm done though. Oops. Oops. I think I just lost something. Hold on. So I guess just to follow up along to tie my presentation with Peter's in terms of bootstrapping. Um, one one way, I guess I was suggesting that the wiki words are a way we can bootstrap our ontology by using the knowledge that's already explicitly um, referenced in, in our wiki. Great, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Okay. okay. Um, do we have Bob? You have Bob. Bob. Yeah, I'm the... Uh, and Peter's uh, cartoon character with his hero, Doug Engelbert. I'm the bartender. Just call me Bob the bartender. 
Yeah, I'd like to really thank uh, Denise for her framework in uh, framing the big picture and the use of her tool from um, World Bank uh, Telegram to produce a, a very powerful inventory of information uh, resource assets. And I looked at that and I said, wow, here's all these terms uh, among one of the key speakers we've had over the last three years, one of the co-sponsors and co-founders of the Analog Forum, Leo Orst, had produced a document that every time I talk with somebody about ontology, <clears throat> here's this uh, image of, of Leo and his presentations um, really uh, fishnetting uh, in my forehead. So oh. I'd like... I'd like to, yeah, Peter? Can you tell us what slide number you're on? I'm on slide one. Okay, good. Thanks. So given that long uh, statement, I'd like to uh, say I'm very interested in making a pragmatic cut at implementing some of Leo Orp's um, presentation on the analog roadmap. And I'd like to call it sketch one, assuming that in a collaborative effort, there's a sketch and a resketch, and somebody with a big eraser uh, makes some significant improvements. And a roadmap connects one step to another city to another city, showing where the uh, pitfalls are, the tar pits are, the impossible cliffs and impossible mountains. So uh, at slide one, basically, uh, what I like to do is sketch out a roadmap. Very draft, very sketchy. Um, slide two, observations like we just heard from Lisa, uh, AI has had a powerful impact. I was chairman of the AI Council for the California uh, State University systems of 20 campuses back then. And wow, in the 80s and the 90s, there were so many different disciplines in an academic setting that I kept wishing we had a better way to get terms defined and organized, and um, unfortunately, ontologies weren't there. Last month, we had an upper ontology summit that resulted in a treaty suggesting some next steps, and I'd like to kind of take a uh, forward step uh, around those uh, treaties and develop a Taxo-Fazaris project around some conforming schema and as a decision uh, roadmap scenario. Slide three, Leo Orbst in his presentation asked some critical questions about how fast and how far and at what levels of granularity, logic, precision you really need. So I think all the other panelists um, are raising excellent questions, and in terms of externals, uh, just recently Jim Hendler believes it's time to get out of the laboratory and begin working on concrete projects. Eliza Kendall and Deborah McGinnis revised Ontology 101 and made great emphasis on tools to support the development of ontology. So if the uncertainty about 
answers to various questions taken as a as a whole on this fishnet. We know we can move forward on a roadmap with some degree of likelihood use of resources and a probability of success. In the background, we've got uh, Partners uh, Healthcare and Blackford Middleton suggesting, hey, given the U.S. healthcare costs in trillions, 1.3, 1.4 trillion, he sees the ability to save $78 billion by moving from a level one to a level four uh, use of technology and basically leaping into an ontology approach for information sharing and interorganization, interoperability. So any project manager needs to ask the question, hey, what's this thing going to cost and what's it going to benefit? Uh, let's take a stab with slide four of what a sketch project proposal would look like to build a Taxol Fazaris following the guidelines and a framework that we've heard so far and mining the content currently in existence as well as related uh, resources at our disposal. Uh, the proposal would probably include, obviously, background issues, estimated time and effort, and I believe a simple two to three person, 10 hours over two to five weeks, could get us well started. Uh, others on the panel have identified users, and I would like to suggest that we not only look at users, but their users, their audience, and MBAs in particular, uh, seem to have a crucial role and I think proselytizing not only the internal but an external audience will gain us uh, significant visibility and subsequent resources. Prior efforts. Um, we can do a Google search on Protégé Wiki, University of Maryland. There's been lots of further prior efforts at building these things. There's a uh, search by um, using an owl uh, gives a tremendous uh, number as we dig into some funded initiatives. Uh, I think SAP, Oracle, IBM, the Athena project make uh, quite interesting uh, arguments. So uh, what's our proposal to include on background issues? Page 5 looks at the specific requirements, a web page dealing with performance expectations, competency questions, the alignment with existing projects, orchestration, mechanics, and uh, collaborative issues, initiatives, and uh, identifying use cases. Slide 6. What would a Thesaurus product design look like? What's our selection criteria for a schema? How are we going to select appropriate schema tools, ontology tools, and the acquisition of primary and secondary tool sets? We don't have millions of dollars to spend on tools, obviously. Um, so we need to get serious about what's available, what can be easily learned and used. 
What a <clears throat> slide seven. Gee, what kind of results? Uh, my sense is I'd like to see some discussion of ambiguity reductions, uh, some proof of concept or failure cycles, demonstration of competency uh, cycles where things are used, uh, comments made, and that uh, recycles again. And obviously, we'd want to address some future work and contingencies, particularly the workshop at Protégé 2006. We were just notified yesterday that we we're our proposed workshop titled Ta-da! Natural, Semi-Formal, and Formal Ontologies, Bridging the Layers, the Limits, and the Lacuna. So we have a web page uh, for preparing content for this uh, workshop. It'll be on Sunday, July 23rd. There are some deadlines uh, that we'll have posted. Additional uh, future work. Uh, hopefully we can complete uh, the protege and time for the protege conference. Uh, early May, there's an OASIS interoperability conference. Uh, should be some interesting results from that domain. Many, like uh, Rex Brooks, who's on this conference, will be in attending. So here's slide eight. I ask for suggestions. And uh, hopefully... Uh, we can um, add a page in the wiki to um, extend this uh, proposal and get uh, collaboration on it. My slide nine, I've made a lot of reference to Leo Orst. He has well over 40 slides. I've selected seven that I thought were most important. How am I doing on time, Peter? Steadies. Um, let's see. Hold on. Um, we have, I think we probably should wrap it up. <laughs> okay. I've included in my slide presentation uh, seven key slides that make some important distinctions. I look forward to uh, questions and moving uh, the project from discussion into uh, some part of a pragmatic real-world solution that addresses the questions uh, so far framed. Thank you. Um, in the interest of time, shall we hold questions until the end and go on to Patrick? Sounds good. Okay. Patrick? Uh, before you go to Patrick, uh, Kurt, uh, can you let me know when you're done editing and let me slip in? Well, it just blew out all of my changes, so I don't know what's going on. I'm no longer going to make interface for the wiki. Okay. Could, could, you, could you do it on the side? And we can paste it back in. And I, I noticed that it was Peter Brown who was trying, who also tried to get his name in, right? Is Peter on online? No. Oh, so uh, Kurt, are you still online uh, on uh, on the wiki, or are you uh, have you left? I have a message on my screen that says, Editing Not Allowed on the Wiki page. So that's where I'm at right now.
Oh, so. All right, then. So I don't think I have the page. You don't have the page. Good. I just have an error message. All right. Sorry about the tap. Uh, okay. Uh, so. Uh, Can we go to Patrick? Yes. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Just yep. fine. Um, what I'm going to do here really quick, and this is a fairly canned uh, little presentation, but it has some main points in it. Um, what's in it for me, engineering the value proposition for the analog community? Um, second slide. Basically, what I'm going to be talking about here is something that's called a value delivery system. That's something I've uh, um, talked about over the years in terms of making decisions and making trade-offs. Uh, in um, in a situa situation where we are right now, um, and it's primarily aimed at trying to uh, establish or uh, come up with a value proposition. Um, these kinds of concepts you may have encountered in things like mission statements or in the uh, rational unified process or some of those called vision statements. But what they're an attempt to do is to lock down some primary um, primary thrusts for going forward, given that you've got lots and lots and lots of uh, trade-offs um, in the problem space, so to speak, and you have to come up with some fairly defensible, uh, reasonable ones in the in the solution space. Um, and as you see here, we've got a very simple choose value, create value, whatever you have to do to substantiate um, those kinds of capabilities to meet what you're going to promise and then to actually go out and communicate what you have. Um, let's see here. I think I've got a blank slide in there. I apologize. Slide three for everyone. Okay. That may have gotten in there. But anyway, um, the slide I have here, uh, what is the, uh, I think what I lost is what is the value proposition. Hang on, man. Oh, we have it. We have three. three yeah, we do have Slide three. Yep. What do you see on three? I'm somehow going through three and it's blank. Do you have a title for that? Uh, the value proposition. What is it? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's We're okay uh, for those who are on the share screen. Okay. I must have... Uh, let me go to my originals real fast so that I'm not sitting here blind. That surprised me. Um, that slide on what is the value proposition is essentially... The promise you make to some constituency about what it is that you're going to provide. Usually, this is done in some sort of competitive uh, context in which you're doing a business. Uh, you're trying to create value for people in terms of deliveries of products and services, um, creating the right product for the right people. Um, you also want to communicate that value proposition to people so they're not inferring it. Um, or other people are inferring your value propositions. It's a very clear statement of what you want to do, if I could boil it down to that kind of statement. Um, still trying to get to the page here. Now, one second. Well, 
I missed that somewhere. Anyway, developing a value proposition is essentially a four-step process. Segmenting the market, selecting target segments, developing alternative propositions, and deciding on a value proposition. This may seem very formulaic, but I think in, in a process in which we have so much out there, and we're trying to figure out um, how to narrow it down, this is not really a bad approach in many ways. Uh, it may lead to some, some pieces being uh, that some people think are important uh, being left out, but what it really tries to do is to deliver the most value to the most people. It's an interactive process, and it's designed to select these targets, uh, and then the value proposition that will most appeal to the segments, and then create an ability to deliver on this value proposition. Uh, to segment the market, it, you could look at it many different ways. Uh, Denise had actually created a very nice breakout with a lot of these different communities. Um, that may be fairly exhaustive. That may be what we want. Um, I think what happens is, you know, how do we approach um, delivering whatever, whatever it is we're going to deliver well to some segment of the market? Uh, you could break that up in a lot of different ways. Uh, I think we mentioned things like you could have a lot of experts uh, in the analog uh, community that would want something out of uh, this. You could have a lot of novices that are coming in that really are trying to come up to speed on this. You have many, many different people, and what is it that we are planning for them? What's the kind of explicit promise and value that we um, directly set out so that we can uh, uh, not only understand them as a market, but then deliver that value? Whatever the approach, the segmentation should be based on answers to both of the questions. What does the segment want, if we can come up with that? Uh, and can you effectively reach this segment with the, des with the desired benefits, what they need? So you really are trying to purvey to um, it's almost like a requirements uh, engineering kind of thing. Um, we set out to see certain high-level things, I believe, that we wanted to provide. I believe uh, in a value engineering proposition, value engineering kind of approach, we have to get much more uh, finite. In some ways, we have to become more efficient about uh, realizing we couldn't serve everyone. So we might try to find uh, the best way to get the most bang for our buck. The value-based the value segmentation describes segments based on levels of benefits to be provided. Um, you know, users choose their, their products and services based on what they perceive as the value. Are they getting it somewhere else? Does Ontolog give it to them in something different? Uh, Ontolog may have a whole different um, a value because it's, it's not anywhere else. It's very rich. Uh, can we deliver on the promise to make that available to them? And you've got to be careful to, take, uh, to determine exactly what segments can be supported successfully. Uh, it's kind of an interesting word, successfully. That's, again, one of these scoping things. There may have to be some judicious uh, choosing to meet the identified constraints, whatever those constraints turn out to be as part of our analysis. Um, selecting target segments, you really want to develop a hypothesis of what is important to the user. You know, somehow, besides just coming up with a segmentation that we think is logical, we're going to have to go out there and, and see you know, what, what would a novice community really want and how would they want it. Um, you know, might we go out with interviews or surveys or focus groups? Uh, or, or perhaps we put together sort of a prototype thing where we do a demo of some proposed capabilities and uh, let that, uh, in, the, in a sort of a classic engineering, requirements engineering way, uh, let people say, hey, that, that's kind of right. I didn't know exactly what I needed, but, but uh, that's kind of nice. I like that. So there may be a number of, of uh, approaches there for developing what's important to the user. So we collect this data. 
analyzing it with a view towards similarities or clusters. Again, I'm back to the economy of motion, knowing that we can't provide everything to everybody. But by looking at uh, uh, sort of clusters or similarities, and then coming up with the attributes that can be rated and ranked according to some desired outcomes, we'll have a much better chance. I think the other important thing there, and since I'm an architect, I would always be looking at arch architecting kinds of questions, is what is the endpoint that we really want? Uh, you know, the classic uh, as-is and to-be with the transition strategy, um, we might want to have out there for ourselves some fairly well-articulated desired outcomes. We might have to weed some out and keep others. But um, by having those clear, we won't be um, meandering all over the place trying to service too many things. With this analysis complete, then, you can create some kind of effective criteria uh, to refine a profile of what this segment really wants uh, and how can we serve it with some features of, of the ontolog content, what I call ontolog content services. It could be products, they could be services, but might be more generic by saying our offering, whatever it is we're trying to give. Something that you would do, and this is, would be classic trade-off too in, in, in an architectural sense, is developing alternative value propositions based on these value-based segments that we've identified and the benefits that we hear that they want, including the costs to provide those benefits. I think that's one of the issues that one always has to look at also is we might want to provide something really wham-bam, but you know, can we pull that off in the way that, in, within the resources that we have? Um, you want to develop these alternatives. Uh, it's kind of a way to say, um, well, if you couldn't do it this way, could you do it this way? And could you trade a little of this off to do that, and would you get the same sort of thing? So sort of a classic design in a way for, for uh, optimizing. Appeal of the alternate uh, value proposition should be uh, determined for each major segment that we have selected that we want to uh, service. Um, and this is done by determining the top attributes that are required by our offerings and then to create a value proposition that promises exceptional performance on them. Remember the, the value proposition, the one slide that somehow I lost, really talks about the promise you make, um, the supplier makes to um, the receiver implicitly for uh, what kind of value they're going to get, and usually in the commercial sector at, at a good price. And what I had is a, an example in there for like a car dealer, car repair dealer, one uh, value proposition might be um, you know, superior service on time at a reasonable price. That might be a more excellent uh, value proposition, whereas another one might be um, um, uh, not quite as expensive but reliable, something like that. I had two... Uh, uh, in fact, I'll find that slide somehow. I grabbed the wrong one in haste. But the propositions could look like, and the alternatives could look like that also. So um, in these discussions, it's important to note whether the organization is in a position to deliver on the capabilities identified to match a value proposition. And I think we have to keep that in mind. Uh, we mentioned it in terms of just resources in a volunteer organization and, and how much we would uh, and what segments we would tend to try to purvey to. The goal is to determine the appeal of alternate value propositions for each target segment and then determine which value proposition will be the most successful for as many of the segments as possible. So this is really sort of a mini-max here um, drawing on um, sort of an efficiency principle. Um, the uh, slide number eight here, deciding the best value proposition once the segment overlap is determined, and more likely you will have this for many of the groups the value proposition that best addresses overlapping uh, attributes.
can be determined by answering such questions as, what kind of volume a user mix are we like, likely to experience? Uh, what leads to the best return, the best uh, economic value for the user? And that economics is relative now because we aren't necessarily asking them to pay for that in this, in this model, although everybody pays in some way or the other. Um, it's measured not just in terms of dollars, but in time savings, higher productivity, better decisions. Third question, at what cost and investment can we deliver on the promise? What changes will we need to be uh, made to the current environment to deliver the products and services effectively? How sustainable is the approach likely to be? All of these things we have to take into account. So finally, much like the, the, system, the slide I have up front, the value delivery system, uh, once the value proposition has been determined, the value delivery must be implemented to ensure the ongoing success of the chosen value proposition. Therefore, the delivery is composed of the three components I showed you at the beginning. Chose, choosing the value, process deciding what you will deliver to the user population, in effect, the process of developing the value proposition, creating that value, which is the process of designing, producing, or procuring even, if that, that's an alternative, uh, delivering and servicing a product, including a service at a certain price. Now, again, you know, the model is not that we charge people for for um, access to the ontological body of knowledge because it's an open forum, but again, price is a relative thing, and and everyone has there's there's uh, some kind of cost, tangible or intangible, usually involved. And then, of course, communicating the value, making it clear to people what it is we have to give, making our value proposition clear so they know where they're coming and why they're coming, and then being able to deliver on that. So that's essentially it. I apologize for losing the one slide, and maybe you see, Peter, you saw the, the slide that said. What is the value proposition? We, right. We I mean, the, 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 everyone who's on the shared screen actually have the slide. Now, I must have sent that to you, and then somehow when I was playing around with the slides, um, at the end, lost that, because honest to God, I've, uh, and I, that was one of my key slides, and I can't even look at no, it. No problem. If you download it from the wiki page, yeah. actually it's there. All right. Okay. That's all I had. Thank you, Patrick. It seems to um, reinforce what Lisa was saying. Yeah. earlier as well and fit right into um, um, Lisa's approach. Is Nicholas with us? I don't think we have Nicholas. Okay. And I, I'm not seeing Nicholas's slides on the wiki page, no. which is why I, um, we gave Patrick a bit more time because I didn't think we had that component. Okay. All right. Do we have Max? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How much time do we have left? Uh, plenty. Uh, I, I guess okay, Rex goes with his five-minute uh, presentation and three-minute uh, Q&A. We still have a good part of an hour, probably like more like 55 minutes uh, for the general discussion. Okay. Max, go ahead. Okay. So um, hang on. Let, let me bring up your slides. Let me know when I should. Okay. Yeah.
Okay. Um, so I'm, I guess in some ways I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of, you know, the bit of, of putting too much ontology. I, I know this is a long group to talk to, um, but in some ways I hope you appreciate my my uh, unorthodox, um, you know, maybe different approach. And it's not so much that I don't believe in ontology, not at all. It's just that I think there are issues. So I'm giving you an approach that I think is happening right now in uh, the Web 2.0 world, kind of. And I can see where we can reconcile some ontology. So that's why I say rooted in pragmatism, tool services, and standards, and social collaboration. I don't have ontology in there, although I think there's a place for it. So the approach and thesis is that, you know, there are many issues, but I, I kind of, you know, put two of them uh, to the forefront. And the first one is the fact that we lack pragmatism, um, you know, at least from what I've seen, uh, and as a community. And I, I'll put myself in that as well. And I think that uh, the use cases and the usage is very heterogeneous, and it makes it very difficult to essentially come up with a, you know, set of ontologies or even one ontology that would uh, fit the content for all these use cases that would, people would have. And also, in some in some ways, we don't even know what they are. So I think, in, in, as a summary, the approach that I'm taking in is first, um, you know, involve people, and we can involve them in two ways. First, uh, you know, using tagging, for instance, and then importantly, using rating. Uh, and I'll give you some example of what I mean by that. Uh, and then the next two pieces of the approach is to use... Um, Max, can, can you let us know what slide you're on? Okay, I'm on slide two. Uh, so the next two parts are to use services, uh, by this I mean some services on the web or some tool, to automatically generate content that can be used to do searches, to do other things. And uh, so for instance, the audio content and also mining the text. Okay? And then finally, uh, I think there's a place for some ontology, but probably primarily as an outline at this point. Of course, what, where is the secret sauce in this? Well, it's in the algorithms, I think. Uh, and I should say algorithms, not, not just without an end. And then, of course, the use cases that we're trying to solve. So I would say, you know, there, there were a few use cases discussed. We could pick one or two, and then we try to get it done. And then as we move forward, uh, do more. So what do I mean by tagging? Well, it's a, it's a very idiosyncratic way of people, you know, selfishly saying what they what what they think. Light three. Look at. Yes. Yes. Light three. Sorry. Um, so, for instance, things like uh, you know, delicious Flickr. You kind of go and you tag your pictures, and and what do what, why do you do this? Well, you do this because it kind of helps you remember, you know, what that page was about or what that picture, who's in that picture, so that you can search for it. So. Importantly, you're creating this bag of tag from, you know, your own perspective. Uh, you know, the, the kind of what happens out of this is interesting. So uh, Peter Mika has a paper called Ontologies Are Us, and, and I highly recommend people to look at it because he has some initial results on how, for instance, uh, the delicious uh, uh, um, tagging environment actually if you look at some of his visualization from his uh, analysis of that of those tags, you can see that there is some in emergence of essentially a taxonomy from the delicious uh, tag. But actually, it does work, and various other people have discussed uh, similar results as well. So I think uh, I think you know taxonomies are not the answer to everything, but it certainly gives a way for people to add semantic.
basic sort of content from their perspective, and with enough of us doing this, you can kind of converge to some initial taxonomy. That's one piece. The other piece, I think, which is very, very important, is the rating, because you end up with content that, you know, not all of, all of it is of the same quality, and it's very difficult to judge the quality. It's a very subjective thing. I think ratings and the kind of discussion feedback, so for instance, even putting comments are very important. Um, you know, you can you can use things like, for instance, uh, you know, Amazon's rating system and their books, uh, eBay's reputation system, and there's tons of work in the literature on this. Um, and I think one of the newer approaches, if you if you have your browser, you can just go to dig.com. I think it's one of the better Web 2.0 um, approaches on how to essentially have a, a community tell you what news are important. So if you can imagine on uh, the Ontolog Forum, we have tons of content, and it's kind of you know structured in a chronological, uh, uh, you know, laid, it's laid out chronologically. And what I'd like to have, what I would like to see, um, you know, as a vision, is that we would have something more like Big.com, where there is some chronology because the, the top stories are typically the most recent stories. However, the top stories, what determines, you know, a piece of the content to be more important than others is that many people dig it. <laughs> so that's the idea of dig, right? So you go there and you dig a, a story. You say, yeah, it's a good thing. And there are many different approaches. The other problem with this, of course, is that people could collude with to make their own story better, so they dig it many times. So what you do there is essentially you rate the raters. So there are many papers on those things also in the literature. So I think something like this would enable us to have some idea of what, you know, how good the content is. The next piece of the multi-faceted approach, if you may, slide four. That, yes, slide four is that the audio content uh, needs to be converted. Because I, I guess in some ways it's the fact that as a, as a community, the majority of our content, if you may, is in audio format. Um, we have great speakers that come and talk to us, and a lot of really good questions comes after those talks and during those talks. But it's in you know MP3. So what we need is a way to convert that audio into text transcript and somehow kind of relate the two. And there are some services out there that do that for you right now, almost for free, and allow you to do searches. So Podzinger, if you have your browser, go there and you'll see that you can actually upload an MP3 and it will convert it and it actually annotates also the transcript because it will tell you know where it's coming from and so on. So it has metadata in it. And I think the transcript, when you get it, you could actually use humans to, you know, gradually improve even those transcripts and, and add some, you know, contextual information as well. I think there are some issues, though, because uh, I've listened to some to our podcast, and the audio is not necessarily good quality. Now, Podzinger probably doesn't care too much, but there are, there are some cases where we have static, static noises and then also what I call voice storms where people try to speak over each other. And this is typical in any, you know, environment where you have lively discussion. So it's not, you know, a criticism of the community. It's more, you know, fact of life. And, and in these cases, you know, Podzinger will probably not know what to do or you know, what to make of it. Now, of course, a human, you know, could probably fix those parts. Um, so I think it's audio, converting audio to transcript is going to be interesting, you know, how far we get in it. But it's going to be better than the MP3 files, clearly. So next slide, slide five, is to next kind of make sense of the content itself, so the wiki content, in addition to the annotations um, with uh, things, for instance, like delicious. 
Um, because you can, you know, one of the things Peter, Peter didn't mention this, but the theme 3 has this purple wiki, so they, they have a bunch of little tags at each, almost each paragraph of the wiki. So that enables us to, as we add, you know, if we were to use something like delicious, you can actually use a URL up to that tag and, and add what your own tag is. So, sorry to use tag in two places, but your URL would be, so for instance, theme 3, whatever the wiki page is, hash, and the tag value, and then you would tag this to say, okay, well, this is Peter Yim's presentation, or something like, or presentation, comma, Peter, and so on. So I think that's the important piece there uh, in terms of, you know, the tagging. But we need to somehow, so this is kind of human doing doing the tagging, but the, the other piece is to use some tool to do it. And, and IBM released uh, Urema recently, and I'm not trying to advertise it. You can just go and you'll see there are many people um, using this technology. And it's essentially a way to do this kind of annotation uh, using mining technology. And it's actually open source. And uh, David Fuichi of IBM Research will be uh, presenting to the community on May 11th. So, you know, shameful, I guess, advertising here, but uh, for my colleagues. But he'll be there, and, and you can kind of get a better feel for what you could do with Ulema and, uh, and, and its power. And then the final step, slide six, is, uh, you know, us struggling, I think, uh, to create an ontology. The reason I say struggling is because I've been in those exercises with different ontologies and trying to come up with one. And, you know, it, it can be a struggle, but, you know, maybe it won't be. But the idea there, I think, would be just to create an outline. Uh, so giving, you know, the kind of content we have, we can probably come up with different concepts that, you know, would abstractly represent the content so that we have some kind of an outline for what each page of the content, each audio, you know, are and so on. So I think there's been some discussion about it before in the previous, um, you know, uh, present, um, last, last time we, we got together. I think some initial version of this would be really good and we could probably try to reuse existing ontologies. I'm kind of skeptical there because I've tried to do this before, not necessarily for this particular domain, but I've not been far. So we'll see how far we go. I, I'd actually enjoy that exercise because I think, you know, we have colleagues here that are, you know, probably a lot more expert than I am. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to see their thought process and how they work. I usually use uh, Deborah McGuinness's uh, Ontology 101. That's kind of how I learned to do ontologies. So, you know, I think I could probably learn some more. But I'm kind of skeptical there because I don't see how much more we could do, especially because of the time and, 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 and the fact that we don't have, you know, a group of people dedicated to do this, to actually do the engineering after you get the ontology. So I would just like to see just a simple outline. And then, of course, the other thing is, and I think uh, the second speaker kind of started discussing this, is what are the goals? I mean, what are we trying to do? I think cataloging is, is a good one, and I don't know if anybody else can do it but us in some ways. But uh, you could kind of think of other things. So I say search. Well, why don't just use Google? Google probably does a way better job than we do if we just point Google to our side and then they can index it and, and you know, enter queries. Statistics. Well, Amazon has this service called Alexa, and it probably can give us better statistics than we can ever do unless we spent money to do it. So I think it's important to kind of get an idea of what the goals are, because if the goals are simple things like search and statistics, then what we should do is to essentially, like Podzinger, like I'm suggesting for Podzinger, is to essentially use an existing service and use the results of that service in our page. 
you know, do fancy JavaScript to incorporate those services in our page. Um, so with that, I thank you in many different languages. Thank you, Max. Um, well, it's uh, from, if I can just summarize, um, and um, it seems like in Max's um, presentation, he gave us um, a couple of additional scenarios or use cases. Um, one uh, would be visualization of knowledge networks or concept networks. Um, another might be um, that um, either ontolog community members or non-members would want to have some sort of a recommender engine um, uh, on top uh, for the content that's there. Um, and I think what I'd like to do is, if it's all right with the group, to set aside the discussion of specific tools or technologies um, today and talk about how we proceed um, with the ontologizing project. And then, Max, let you take the tools and technologies discussion into the next couple of. Does that sound reasonable? Well, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to defer discussion about tools later. Sure. OK. So um, yes. uh, maybe for those who are not aware, we actually have a discussion session two lined up for June 8th, uh, which Max will be moderating. And that would be more specific in terms of uh, evaluating the technology, looking at what the landscape is it, uh, for tools and possibly standards. Sorry, Denise. No, no, please. Um, so it, I thought we had some really good um, uh, follow-up to the framework issues in the presentations today. And I guess I would just like to hear from the presenters and the um, participants um, how we see the next, what we see the next step. I think the premise that we have, or the premise that I have in, in framing a discussion on ontologizing the ontological content, is that we will, we will try to um, define the project um, and um, basically come up with a strategy for at least coming up with, um, I think, um, was it Patrick or Bob who mentioned, I think it was Bob who mentioned either a proof of concept or a failure of concept. I thought that was a really good idea. So do we have a consensus that basically we will try to um, take on the ontologizing project? Most definitely. Okay. Yeah. Every time you ask me. Okay. Lisa, what do you think? Yes, I think um, we definitely need to um, take on a project. It's it's a matter of the scope and all the details. <laughs> and Bob, you were the one who I think came the the closest to giving us a concrete first step. Yes, I. I think the wiki is a fantastic blackboard or a whiteboard upon which to start an outline, as Max suggested, uh, sort of an outline for outlining. Uh, I'm also uh, concerned about the ultimate goal and think small baby steps uh, make sense at first. And then um, expand our goal as we expand our capabilities and competencies. I think that's an excellent idea. 
The only way that I think we've made progress is, just as you explained, incremental improvement and incremental progress. Towards reasonably well understood goals at the time. And a nice thing about goals is once you've achieved a uh, sub-goal, sometimes other goals look much more attractive than they did earlier, and others turn ugly as resources change. So to that point, I think I, I would agree both, with both of you. However, can I point out a simple thing, which is that when, when so we we want to start by, okay, kind of laying out the land and saying, okay, these are all the things we want to do, goals and so on, and I'd like to have them too, so I'm not, you know, saying those are bad. And then at the same time, both of you say we need to do steady steps. So one thing that, that I've struggled big time with, even in software development and engineering, is the fact that sometimes those two things don't work together. And the reason is the following. Like, for instance, in XP, extreme programming, what they preach is instead of having those big goals in mind, just have kind of a story, so basic use cases. Don't even try to define too much. And then start getting small steps early on. And as you do them, let the community come up with the goals. So in other words, I think one thing we need to do is to, just like you said, Bob and Denise, Let's get some small things done, but you know, as we get those things done, people, as they start using it, will tell us what, where they want to go. I think that's a very good suggestion. That's um, kind of why we were framing it last week, and I, I'm not sure if you were um, with us last week, but we were saying um, basically let's take some users, some content, some use cases, and see basically what are the like core requirements or baseline requirements and develop, you know, just a basic framework for those, for, for one, um, basically maybe start with one use case. Figure out what the components are that we need and then see what it would take to move it forward. But you know, so I, okay. I agree. Yeah. Well, I wasn't there last week, so I apologize. Oh, okay. I, I did listen in to part of your talk towards the end. Uh, but, but one thing, I guess, maybe, you know, just to, from my own experience is that we could kind of discuss many use cases. I think the good thing there would be we could identify what are the more salient ones and then pick one of those. And then as we try to get that to fruition using tools, standards, and other services and so on, then, you know, we'll find out that, you know, all the other use cases that we're thinking about, maybe many of them are not even relevant. And then we'll use that one to kind of drive us where we want to go. So in other words, that will drive us. Yeah, uh, I think if we so can first, before we start talking about tools, though, if we can just come up with a logical framework. Because I think we, we probably, one of the things that might be interesting is to mm -hmm. see how many different tools could support the same, um, the same application or the same um, goal. Right. But I think that goal structure, this is Pat again, this is the reason I was uh, coming forward with something just sort of meta like a value proposition and that you can go in a lot of different directions really quick and not get the consensus among the participants, plus miss the mark for what the users want and not just what we think the users want. Um, I, I've been through a lot of software engineering and as a CIO, lots and lots and lots of projects in which there wasn't good consensus, there wasn't the good vision document, which is what if you look, read Leffingwell and people like that, um, requirements engineering, you know, we're in a requirements engineering phase ourselves. We have to have a clear understanding of what scope we do want to take on and, and what uh, 
with the audiences we want. And I think we ought to have that down before we get into some of the designing. I, I, I really appreciated your presentation just for that reason, Patrick. And it's real easy, I know. I, I myself have been on all sides of it, going fast and wanting to get something down, even calling it rapid prototyping. But we never solidified. And I've been, in, unfortunately, sort of in the mythical man month situation of failed projects that um, got going really fast. And uh, look back and you figure, well, nobody actually put down that one, um, and I like the term called the vision document. I think it's one of the most salient ones. It's kind of the contract between everybody for what it is we thought we were building, <laughs> which sometimes when you get to the end, everyone says, well, I thought this is what we were building. I really believe it has to be laid out. Some of that upfront scoping has to be locked down so people can't say, well, I thought it was this. I, I second that, uh, Peter Yim here. Uh, actually, is Pat Cassidy still here? Yeah, Mom. Right. I mean, I really want to engage a formal ontologist in, yeah. in get your perspective. Uh, since we are by far probably one of the very few groups that at least embrace both sides of the camp in terms of formal and informal ontologies. I mean, do we, we have both both uh, nouns on our charter, to say the least. So uh, from a formal ontology angle, I mean, what can be the approaches uh, uh, that we, we, we can take to actually use this exercise uh, to, I mean, Either proof of con uh, as a proof of concept, uh, failure of concept exercise. I mean, to to really get both camps to be working on 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 a thing that sort of pro uh, that can deliver the vision that in at the end of the day, actually, uh, ontology is going to be the real key. Yeah, well, um, I think a couple of the speakers. Uh, emphasized, and I agree that um, at the outset you really want to define what it is you're trying to do. I mean, I'm sure nobody disagrees. Uh, but I mean, like, really have a, as the, the previous speaker just said, a, a pretty clear shared agreement of what we're attempting. Um, now, uh, generically, I guess we want to have access to the information in the ontolog um, um, form. And uh, the question was raised, why not just use Google? And of course, we have to um, take to get uh, transcriptions of, of the audio content as well in order in order to have. So, so you know, I, I agree with all, all of that. Um, beyond that, the question of what does the ontology adds to you to it? Well, if you're going for the formal ontology with um, well-defined relations, then then you provide the possibility of doing some kind of inferencing. Uh, if you do that, your your problem is what kind of tools you're going to use. And as of right now, probably the, uh, the best developed tools are those that use the OWL ontologies. Um, and those have uh, a limited but potentially useful DL logic implementations that, that we can use like immediately. So. Um, I guess the first question is, which content do we want to index? Uh, how do we anticipate we will use it? And when we've answered those questions, then I would be willing to try to guess at what kinds of additional functionality we might be able to gain 
it's logical inferencing by adding the content into, say, an owl ontology. So uh, that's, that's what I'm thinking as I was listening. I think that's a very good approach because otherwise we're trying to tackle all three dimensions at once. And I'd like to follow on as another, um, this is Lisa, um, as another formal ontologist, is that it, I like the idea that ontologue does include people from both, quote, camps, and perhaps uh, we may, as we go through and identify the types of content that we want to be searchable, we may find that some of it um, would be more useful using a formal ontological approach where we can have inferencing. And then whereas other types of content, it may be easier to um, go, the, go the tagging approach. Um, of course, I think with the tagging, um, like um, Michael mentioned, that it, it, it is very similar to, to a Google-type search in that the value of of the of the structures that evolve depends on on the tags and the links. Um, so um, just like uh, search engines have spam, there is the potential for you know tag for the tags to be spammed. And I guess that's where the ranking um, value comes in to help mitigate that aspect. I think one person we were missing today who could probably speak to some of the architecture issues um, was Nicholas. And he might be able to help us understand a little bit more about um, the functional architecture that would um, address some of those issues. I would just um, say um, we've been using the Google Appliance for several years now. And um, I would caution anybody to think that any of the the web linking that Google does on the web um, might be implementable at, into um, in a specific context. Um, it's basically negated um, when you're working within a, a limited um, um, set of co content. You've basically got a full text search engine. So I will just throw that out as something to talk about in a couple of sessions from now. Well, Denise, while you're speaking, um, I noticed in your presentation that you said you had used a, a content extractor. Which, uh, which one was that? I forgot. We've been using the Teragram. Teragram, is, And right. it's got, um, we've been using concept extraction, categoriz rule-based categorization, dynamic categorization or clustering, summarization, and then pattern matching. Okay, and uh, is that uh, Teragram is a, is a commercial product, and, and I, I'm guessing that there's nothing comparable that would be usable, except possibly UEMA, I guess? Um, well, we've looked at UEMA, and just, and I, I said we wouldn't talk about tools until Max's session, but okay. um, so maybe I should hold off, but um, I think you could probably find, gener generally, you could find different tools that did those basic logical functions. Like there are many tools that do concept extraction. Most of them do concept extraction. Some of them do, a lot of them do clustering. Okay, And I think those, when we looked at UEMA, those two things were available. What we have not found are the, the robust rules for defining how to summarize rather than just do sentence extraction. 
Um, we haven't found the rule-based categorization that, say, gives it more um, human, almost like human inferencing. Um, and, of course, pattern matching is everywhere. Uh, did you say that, uh, do you mean to say that Teragram does summarization or does not? It does. It does? It does, with um, the ability to define um, rule conditions based on how a human <laughs> would go about um, abstracting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but and my, Max, my apologies. I said I would <laughs> hold those off, but Denise, I was answering a question. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> so I think, I think, I think you know, trying to separate discussional tools and, and architectural elements, you know, it's kind of a nice goal to have, but sometimes it's unavoidable, unavoidable. Especially, so I, I don't mind that. The other thing that I would just caution people is is thinking of the logistics. So, for instance, I mean, if you think about time, I mean, I don't know, maybe other people have a little bit more time, but my time, you know, to participate in this in this uh, project is essentially the time of the meetings yes. that we have. That's a good so, point. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so that, basically, that 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 means, you know, for instance, that's why I want to move fast. It's not that I wouldn't like to sit down and kind of, you know, let's drink a few wine, you know, glass of wine and beer and think of all the nice vision stuff. I just want to move fast because that's the only time I have. Well, this is Denise. I think um, so. I'd like to pick up on Bob's suggestion, um, and I'm willing to commit 10. Uh, I'm, I teach. I have a 20-hour-a-day job, but I'm willing to commit 10 hours a week for the period of time that, say, Bob would need okay, to I'll put together. I have to drop out. Bye-bye. Okay. So I can I can commit some time to helping you, um, Bob, if you wanted to begin to build the list of concepts. I had already started to do a little bit of that. So as one concrete step, um, if we could take one of Lisa's entities and start to build a proof of concept for that, I'd be very um, excited to participate. Great. Fantastic. Uh, PTM here, can, can I just address a, a totally different issue, Denise? Please, please. Okay. Uh, uh, if we go back and, and read the charter, one other thing that, that sort of uh, looms big in, in what Ontolog wants to do actually is with standards. We started out with a bunch of people that are sort of professional standards developers, and we have had the good, op uh, good fortune of engaging people from NIST and so on. So one of the big things we actually needed to do is to try to move into the standards arena or at least try to move the ontological engineering approach into standards. And I, uh, I, I, it's regretful we don't have anyone from NIST or in particular Steve Ray himself here, but I would like to cite uh, one of the, the sort of the tenets of their work is uh, in that, I mean, why does NIST keep, let's say, the, a, a, an atomic clock I mean, when people, a lot of people are happy with looking at the, their watches and say that it is uh, 12 o'clock now or, or, not, uh, or 3 o'clock now, uh, but other people might need, let's say, uh, a, a, a thousandth of a second precision. And that, that comes down to uh, sort of when we set up the, the requirement and where are we going to use this. Of course, with the knowledge discovery type of scenario, almost nobody needs the type of precision 
but then besides just allowing us to do inferencing, I think formal ontologies, especially when they're grounded in first order logic, uh, allows us to be a lot more precise. Uh, if we just wanted to discover, I mean, uh, who else is working on, let's say, folksonomy? I mean, we do either the, the, the Bayesian type search, or we do, we we do uh, topic maps and and stuff. I mean, we we get it. But but let's say if we only have like five seconds, and it's a matter of life and death, and we needed an answer, a, a very accurate answer, I would probably mm -hmm. wish that there were like inferences and and they were uh, they were actually logical and 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 the results are, are there. So as a community, I I believe besides just the knowledge discovery type uh, use case, we should also uh, uh, pay some attention to how do we make it so that we can help build or help drive the uh, logical standards and the logically based semantic standards that could be sort of uh, anchor points for the next generation uh, semantic technology. Peter, that's an excellent point. So as we're mm -hmm. going along potentially delivering a product, we're, there are also some really important byproducts. Right, or, or, or I mean, as we deliver this product, uh, our proof of concept requirements should always be there, and, and, and maybe we should set somewhat higher goals uh, just for the sake of it. I think that's an excellent idea. Well, the goals are well articulated in general on the charter, and what we're essentially trying to do is map the area in pragmatic terms which are calling for applications in which there is perhaps a market um, in a collaborative wiki sense for these products. I noticed as you were describing standards and ontology and the need for Steve Ray's that you were describing uh, a context where there was an immediate need uh, within seconds to get an answer to something, and you would need that type of ontology standard or standards ontology. But that is uh, a very rare kind of an event. Most of the time we're looking for um, easier definitions, important distinctions, the ability to identify important distinctions is you hear somebody talking so we can better shape uh, the shared meaning. So specifically, I think we're all reasonably on the same page, Peter. So what about next steps? Well, um, this is Lisa. Yeah, I, I still had a question, I guess, um, I was wondering if it was possible that uh, we kind of have a two-prong approach, one where we um, maybe do a, uh, a pilot regarding uh, Max's suggestions, and then another which uses the uh, like an ontolo a, a more formal ontology approach. 
depending on the type of content. Or is that too confusing? No, I think that's a very interesting idea. Uh, One of the things that we, we had done with the uh, core component type on the representation exercise, uh, which started out as the UBL ontology exercise, was that we tried to <coughs> map, uh, let's say, UBL terms or more specifically core component type uh, terms to by a a, a formal ontology of a formal upper ontology in, in which in, in the CCT representation case we we were mapping it to uh, sumo and I, I it was unfortunate that we did not continue the project uh, to develop an application after that I mean we've defined the ontology with with mapped and linked uh, the the all the proper concepts to sumo and of course sumo is is associated with wordnet and, and, and the whole linguistic things are there uh, however I mean nobody developed a an application that made full use of that and and I'm hoping with our exercise at least we besides developing the ontology we actually have applications that could demonstrate the use of the ontology I think I think trying two of wishes would be really cool because actually we could get as a community of paper on that, right? So because we could get some results and so on. The problem again, I think it's going back to logistics is, is you know, to come back to reality and, and be, you know, a little bit more, you know, I guess in some ways maybe I'm just talking for myself here. It's just that, you know, I don't see that I will have enough time to actually do, you know, good justice to trying two different approaches or even trying one in some ways. I mean, I could give directions to some people, you know, if, if that was possible. I'm not talking about people in the team here, but um, it's, just, it's just very difficult. I, I think I think we need to, going back to the first earlier discussion when we said that start very small, uh, maybe that pick one approach. I, I don't really care that it's, it's, you know, the approach that I suggest at all. And then let's just start with small with that and see how far we get. And then if we don't get too far, then we can go back and choose something else. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting small. I was suggesting focused. But if we if we take something that's focused, I think um, a good range of content would be really important. So I think that's something that um, I'd be happy to work with Bob on for the ontology view of it. So maybe. Okay, so that approach could work. I guess you would you could get together with Bob and get an initial ontology, and then well, you know, we well, it's it's it. actually not an initial ontology, uh, mm -hmm. Max. I would say that we're what we were suggesting is coming up with a a logical framework and trying to just identify the dimensions of of uh, what would be needed in an ontology. But there might be multiple ontologies. Um, Okay. And how we would tackle agents from Lisa's slide, how we would tackle agents, um, the agent roles, the content, etc. Right. I, I, no, think, I, I think we could do that. Right. Oh, sure, sure. I'm, I have no doubt. I mean, I'd like to kind of contribute to some of this. So I've, I've had many thoughts on, on the same things. The, 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 the point I'm trying to always go back to is the pragmatic approach, which is, or the pragmatism of it, is that, you know, um, What's the use case we're trying to solve when you get that? Um, so for me, for instance, I'll just tell you things that I'd like to see just because 
you know, as a user of the content, I'd like to be able to go in and see that, you know, I see ratings from people. You know, I'd like to see the opinions of what people have to say of the content. So, for instance, right now, I mean, a lot of people sometimes are shy to say what they think, and also, you know, justifiably so. I, I wouldn't want to say, you know, everything that I that I think when people talk. I mean, you know, then you become, you know, kind of an outsider. You can get into problems, issues. So I'd like to be able to just give a rating, you know, and essentially say what I thought as an overall of that particular, you know, segment of the of the content. And I think that would be extremely useful because, like, for instance, you know, whenever now I buy a book, and I, I don't know about you guys, but when I buy a book, I go to Amazon and I, I do spend time looking at the ratings. I mean, I know there are some people that just that fit the ratings, but but I use the ratings to make my decision. So I think one thing that would be interesting is to have some kind of a rating information on the content because then that would tell me if I missed uh, a, a session whether or not it's worthwhile. I think that's not a... Just Okay, I'm sorry. I, I think that's a really important um, use case, and I think we should add it to the list that we um, had suggested um, last week, and um, maybe we could take that as one that we work on um, in the next couple of months. That, and then that's a good point. You're, you're bringing out time. So I, I, I almost feel like you know, looking at how fast we move and so on, that we could probably get a lot of the basic conceptual stuff working very fast. But in terms of concrete things, that actually, you know, modifies the content and actually is useful, addresses some well, use case. It doesn't have to be the one I, I just suggested. I, I think it probably take a year, even more. Uh, actually, Max, I can tell you, I already spent maybe like a half a day. Okay. And I just went entirely through the wiki, and I collected a whole bunch of content and quickly stored it. And, I'm, and I was just doing it interactively. I'm sure there are smarter routines that Peter has that um, okay. could basically harvest the content and store it someplace. And then it took me probably 30 minutes to generate. 30 minutes is probably exaggerating the time. It took me to run <laughs> concepts through all of those. Uh, and then very, you know, within a day, I could come up with a basic list of concepts um, to hand off to Bob for him to start um, uh, massaging. Um, right. That's, that's actually what this you is very, This is, yeah, this is, but this is, and um, we can do it by different types of entities. So this is very fast. Right. And we have the tools already available to do this. Okay. Peter, I'm going to have to break off the conversation today. I'll look for the next uh, next reported meeting. Hello? Hello? Hi, this is Pat. Hi, Pat. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've got to go today, but I'll, I'll look for the next, uh, the next uh, meeting time. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. So can okay, we, I guess. You know, can we suggest a next step? Um, for this group, maybe, or um, I'm, I'd like to propose one next step, and that is I'd like to work with Lisa and Bob if they have the time to just sort of map out a strategy for looking at um, some of the entities and generating some of the values. Sounds good to me, Ms. Lisa. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. All right. Peter, is there a formal um, thing that we should do in terms of saying that we'd like to just form a working group to, to try to move this forward and report back to the wiki or the group? Peter? Peter? I, I will answer. Yes, you can form a working group. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> and and what that, what that actually uh, means in practice is what we've done so far is a prep a preparation page. 
okay. so you can uh, get access. And on uh, Monday, I'll be back in the real world where there's cell phone access, and I can talk with Kurt and Lisa and Denise. Finally. Okay. And be communicative. Uh, forgive me for, for interjecting here, but Bob, did you get the message about Art Murray? No, I didn't. We could use a quick debrief if you get any chance at all. Uh, how about at the end of this conversation? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Hi, Lisa. This is Joy Tang. Um, uh, I would like to, I'm very new to this group, and uh, thanks to Peter's invitation. I, I do have a few questions, and I would like to find out how I can further contribute if any way. But um, um, first, I first know Peter through uh, knowing Doug Engelbart's work, and being as a non-technologist, and in the past I've been trying to work um, work out, finding out what kind of knowledge base that is available for uh, people like me that could um, um, use to to work on international development work. Um, in the past I've been focusing um, issues on um, the development work for addressing um, um, the needs of the age orphan. Um, so through that process, I understand that it's not just about addressing AIDS, it's about a sustainable and holistic development work. So that takes me to um, the forum of uh, the technologists in Silicon Valley, where I, I stay. So my little bit understanding of Doug Engelbart's work, so, and also through today's listening, um, I, I saw that one sec one section of work is about um, the, the rec, uh, standards of that uh, some of you mentioned. So on the tool design, on the standard settings and understanding research, I think that is um, one area of work. And in terms of what I see, the, the essence that I got up from today's learning is um, the convergence of value sharing and understanding. And then those are the key words I also heard from Patrick and Peter about sharing, about values, exchange. And so from that perspective, um, through the human um, uh, development process, this knowledge, content, organization, and management understanding, it also has a historical value. So I wonder if um, there will be work done or, or fo focus on uh, allocating to um, understanding how to organize the knowledge. So what kind of categories shall be there? So, so maybe this group could consider so there will be a, a, a process, a, a system in place, a framework in place whereby everybody's values could actually be um, shared and learned. And then, and then I think it's Max, mm -hmm. he mentioned about the tagging and uh, um, um, rating, actually rating system. So you, if, if more people will have a chance to share their values and we can see what values are actually being uh, rated uh, in accordance to theirs. So it's not better or, or, or good or bad or higher or lower, but it's how we can see how our value systems are shared and understood through this process. Some very interesting um, ideas, and I think um, the development of categories is one that we will have to tackle because it speaks to just basically organizing the content. There's an awful lot of content. It would be obviously in a different domain, 
because mm -hmm. we were focused on ontologizing, but I think it's a very good suggestion that as we go along, we should look at how we're doing it and basically try to come up with best practices. Yeah, along those lines, I'm Bob Smith again. Joy? Yes. Are you familiar with Rex Brooks, who's no. on this conference call, or was earlier? Okay. Rex is um, chairman of a technical committee on OASIS uh -huh. that is working on a standard which includes categories of terms of values dealing with people and how they relate to other people in the context of everything from emergency medical response to people with, with uh, various uh, handicaps to seniors. Uh, it's a very strong cultural anthropological uh, approach that they're taking. So it's the Human Markup Language Technical Committee under OASIS. And Rex Brooks, who you can contact uh, by going to his uh, bio on this uh, wiki, uh, maybe uh, you may find that quite useful. Rex okay. is located physically in Berkeley. Yes, actually, I have been studying philosophy uh, for some time, and then um, looking at it from a historic, historical standpoint, uh, here knowledge management, possibly we can define into different categories categories to reflect time, um, types and spaces, locations, places, evolutionary or uh, method, methodologies or identity of conflict. I thought... Um, uh, I thought this we may need to look into deeper um, and then extract and learn from um, those uh, uh, um, how to say studies and um, uh, an approach to understand how the knowledge is is exchanged because that it, it's knowledge creation as well as sharing is value I feel so then I'm not. Uh, just talking about what kind of information I need to address uh, 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 what, but rather from a, how do we regard what knowledge is, and then look from that perspective. Then, then because everybody is dealing with uh, working, living, and then so um, through that process, I believe people are going to identify identify uh, ways to to. Um, uh, share that knowledge with people, but I think that while I see, while I don't quite understand from today's learning, is if we keep talking about what tool to design without that basic understanding of framework um, of how knowledge is, um, what is knowledge and how knowledge is created, I I don't I I felt a little bit too uh, I don't know how to participate, uh, meaning as a somebody, if I do, you have a tool to be there. I still don't know. I feel I'm reactive to it instead of being a, a process of a creation. Denise has made a, a very effective approach uh, with a framework, mm -hmm. and hopefully Peter will help us put a wiki page up for us to add uh, content that expands significantly on the subject matter in the context. Right, Denise? Absolutely. So you're welcome to uh, to join us if you're uh, at all interested. 
Okay, I will continue. And Peter will certainly be able to provide you with uh, excellent guidance. Yes, I will and, continue to pursue and uh, Joy, the learning. Oh, I'm sorry, Joy, before you, um, um, can I ask you, um, what are you doing in the um, AIDS orphans community? Yes, um, we... I'm sorry if this is a little off topic. <laughs> I think I might have something to give to Joy. Okay. We have we have probably the most extensive um, list of AIDS terms, and of course AIDS orphans and the impact of, of AIDS on all sorts of all aspects of society. Mm -hmm. um, I can I'm happy to share that with you. Okay. Just just send me a note. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure I've done such a good job of moderating this session today. You've been fantastic. Well, well I, my, my intent is to just let everybody else talk and to, for me to be quiet. So, um, I, have we sort of come to the end of the session today? I think we may have lost Peter. Something seems to have happened to Peter. Um, <laughs> I, I'm looking at the clock, and yeah, the clock is winnowing down. Okay. Um, shall we take as a as a next step that we will create the was it a, a work page or and then the three of us Lisa, mm -hmm. uh, Bob and Denise will um, see how far we can take this idea of a logical framework and produce some concrete results. Um, and anybody else who wants to join us is welcome to join us. Excellent. Great. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Okay, bye. Well, thank you, everybody. And I guess probably unless we hear from Peter, we'll just say we're signing off. Is that all right, Kurt? It works for me. Okay. Thank you, I, Kurt. I'm actually still online. Oh, oh there yeah. he is. <laughs> we didn't know what happened to you, Peter. Yeah. Well, what I what I would love to get is a, a title of your project, a, a name of your uh, for your project. Um, can we take the title that Bob had suggested in his presentation? Which is. Uh, Exosaurus or something? Sure. It sounds, it's fine with me. Uh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll create the the page for Texosaurus. What's, what's it called? I missed that. I think it was T-A-X-O hyphen thesaurus. Right. In wiki words, I'll take out the, the hyphen. Okay. Texosaurus? Yeah, Texosaurus. All right, you'll have the page before the end of the day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Denise. For